All right, everyone, let's open our Bibles together. If you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 10 today. Mark 10, verses 1 through 12 is our text this morning. It has been a common and valid criticism of the church in America in my lifetime that says... You speak out boldly against homosexuality and abortion while you are silent on divorce and conveniently turn a blind eye to it. This has been a common and valid, I would say, criticism of at least the American church in my lifetime. Why? Well, this is the way I see it. So many Christians... And so many churches see sins like homosexuality and abortion as sins that are out there. While divorce is a sin in here. And so as they say, don't you go meddling, preacher. Preach against that one and you might not have a job for very long. Well, brothers and sisters, as... Our Sunday school class read from 1 Thessalonians 2.4 last week. Paul and Timothy spoke not to please men, but to please God. And we are to do the same. Jesus certainly did. We are going through the book of Mark, verse by verse, passage by passage. And this week, this is our text. This week we come to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. I want to read it aloud. And have you follow along with me as we read? This is God's word. Mark writes, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is a difficult text in many ways. And I'm sure we will get into all of the reasons why, but we begin actually with the setting and what prompted this text and this teaching. Notice the Pharisees came up to Jesus and asked him a disingenuous question. It says in verse 2, they came up in order to test him. And then they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They asked him in order to test him. In other words, they are not genuinely seeking the truth here. 
They're not genuinely seeking an answer to a question that they have in their hearts. They want to trap Jesus in his words. They are jealous of Jesus. The Pharisees, up until Jesus' time, had cornered the market on religious leadership, on teaching about God and his word. Everybody came to them. Everybody looked to them. And now there's this upstart teacher from the middle of nowhere. He hasn't been trained like we have. He hasn't gone through the, the, the things that we've gone through to become Pharisees. And he's teaching and everybody's flocking to him and away from us. Jesus rubs the Pharisees the wrong way. They are looking for a way to silence him and to be rid of his influence. And so, they think, let's entangle him in a controversy. Let's ask him what he thinks about divorce. Now, from what we know, from the history that we have put together, historians of that time and people who study such things, at this point in time, there was a big debate between two schools of thought among Jewish rabbis. There's two schools of thought among Jewish rabbis at this point in time. One group was strict and conservative on divorce, and the other group was permissive. One group said, no divorce, not at all. Divorce is against God and against his, his will. And the other group was making all kinds of reasons why it was permissive for almost any and every reason. And so the Pharisees might very well be thinking, if we can get Jesus in on this, this debate, and we can get him to choose a side, we'll make a lot of enemies for Jesus, one way or the other. We'll, we'll, we'll get a lot of people that hate Jesus just like we do. And so this is a disingenuous question by the Pharisees, but Jesus uses it to offer sincere wisdom to us on the subject of both marriage and divorce. Notice how Jesus initially replies to their disingenuous question. Verse 3, he says, what did Moses command you? Let's all go back to the book of Deuteronomy is really what he's saying here. You can tell by their reply if you study Deuteronomy 24, maybe perhaps later today you'll see what I mean. But Jesus says, let's go back to the, the first five books of the, the, the Old Testament. Let's go back to the Torah, if you will. What does it say there? And the Pharisees all agreed that Moses' commandments were, were the most important things they had at the time. And so they said, verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And then Jesus says, verse 5, this was because of your hardness of heart. Moses and God through Moses gave that command in Deuteronomy 24 because of their hardness of heart. God permitted divorce in the law of Moses. Why? Not because he's fine with divorce but because of the hardness or the sinfulness of people. Because of the hardness or sinfulness of people. God knew their hearts. He knew that people would make a mess of their relationships, of their marriages. And so God gave laws to regulate divorce. Not to approve it, but to regulate it. To protect innocent people, to prevent certain abuses. And that is what Jesus means here when he says it was because of their hardness of heart. It's to regulate divorce. That comes from, again, Deuteronomy 24. And so that's the setting here that prompts Jesus' teaching, this disingenuous question. But Jesus goes on to teach not only about divorce, but 
he goes back and says, let's, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about marriage, because what we understand about marriage means everything for how we understand divorce. And so Jesus, in verses 7 and 8, begins to talk about marriage as it was from the beginning. Notice how in answer to this question, trying to trap him, trying to test him, Jesus goes all the way back to creation. First, he took them back to Moses and the laws that God gave to the Israelites through Moses. But now, he takes them all the way back to creation. Instead of looking at the laws that God had put in place to regulate our sinful hearts, Jesus says, let's look at what God intended from the very beginning before sin ever came into the world. Let's look at what God intended at the very beginning before sin ever came into the world. And in fact, it helps us to read from the parallel account in Matthew chapter 19. If you remember, as we're studying through Mark, we've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes some of the Gospel writers include accounts of the same events or the same conversations. Well, we have the parallel account to what we're reading here in Mark 10 in Matthew 19. Listen to the words from Matthew 19, verses 7 and 8. Same conversation. It says, they, the Pharisees, said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And then Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Now watch how he says it here. But from the beginning, it was not so. That helps us. That clarifies what Jesus is doing. From the beginning, it was not so. This is not God's intention from the beginning. And notice where Jesus goes after he says that. Look at Mark 10, 7 through 8 with me. Mark 10, in fact, actually, uh, actually verse 6. We'll start in verse 6. Notice what Jesus does here. He goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, before sin has ever entered the world. And so Jesus says to them, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Now stop for a moment. Isn't it interesting how God quoted that passage? This is Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Jesus quotes that passage. God made them male and female. Now wait a second. That doesn't say anything about marriage, does it? I thought that passage was all about gender, male and female. But here, no, Jesus says that had something to do not only with gender, but marriage. From the very beginning, the fact that God created one man and one woman as the first two human beings, Jesus says, that's not just about gender. That's about marriage. It's about marriage. Jesus is saying, Pharisees, from the very beginning, God created marriage to be between one man and one woman. From the very beginning, that's the way that God intended marriage to be between one man and one woman. Often people will question, did Jesus ever actually say anything about homosexuality in scripture? He did. He did. Here in Matthew 19, he speaks of marriage intended from the very beginning to be between one man and one woman. Notice how then, after he quotes from Genesis chapter 1, then he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 7. Genesis chapter 2. The very end of that chapter, Jesus is quoting it, saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so here Jesus emphasizes three things, really. 
about marriage from the very beginning. He emphasizes gender, he emphasizes commitment, and he emphasizes unity. He emphasizes gender, marriage is between one man and one woman. He emphasizes commitment. Notice how it says there in his quote of Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Marriage is when we we leave the most fundamental, foundational relationship that we have on this earth between us and our parents, and we, we leave that, so to speak, for a more fundamental and foundational relationship. When we get married, our spouse now becomes the most important relationship in our lives, the most foundational relationship in our lives. And so it's seen, according to God, as, as a sense of leaving your father and mother. And the new, the, I think it's the King James Version so memorably says cleaving to your spouse, leaving and cleaving. And so I've got a daughter. And years from now, let's hope it's many, many years from now, some whippersnapper (laughs) is going to come up to me and essentially say, can I take your daughter away from you? And I'm going to be seeing red. And Jennifer's going to have to calm me down and talk me into it. It's going to be horrible. But it's the way the Lord has set up the world to work. Right? And it will, it will be our joy. But this is what marriage is. It's a leaving of that most fundamental relationship to our parents and cleaving to our spouse. And so Jesus emphasizes gender. He emphasizes commitment. And then he emphasizes unity. Unity. A man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Verse 8, the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. God makes us one with our spouse. Notice how Jesus says later that what God has united, God has united these two people to be one. And so God unites us with our spouse. He makes us one spiritually. He makes us one physically. And so Jesus knows what he's doing here is he knows divorce has everything to do with our view of marriage. The reason the divorce rate is so high in this country today, and among Christians even today, is because our view of marriage is so low. That is why the divorce rate is so high. When marriage is no longer sacred and serious, divorces follow. As a minister, I have to do wedding wedding ceremonies decently regular. And when a couple comes to me and asks me to perform their wedding ceremony, sometimes they will ask if they can write their own wedding vows. And usually my default answer is no. That's my default answer, believe it or not. Why? Well, because a lot of times, and young people, no offense, but you're young. A lot of times, young people will write wedding vows that are are no more than just an expression of their feelings toward one another. And brothers and sisters, that is not what a marriage ceremony is for. A marriage ceremony is for the couple to make promises in the presence of witnesses so that those witnesses can hold that couple accountable to those promises for the rest of their lives. And so just an expression of how much I love you and what I feel for you is not a vow. That's not what vows are. Vows are promises. One of the non-negotiables for me is till death do us part. Till death do us part. We've got to have that in there. Why? 
Well, so that if that couple comes to me years later and says, we want a divorce, I'll go right back and say, this is the promise that you made. Did you not mean it? Did you not mean the promise that you made? And unfortunately, in today's culture, not only has marriage been devalued so much, but a person's personal integrity and their own word has been devalued so much that appealing to that is usually not enough to stop someone from going ahead with their divorce. The fact that they made a promise and they said, till death do us part, but they're willing to break it anyway. And so we come now to what I want to spend the most time on. We've looked at this disingenuous question. We've looked at Jesus as taking us back to marriage. But now I want to spend time on God's view on divorce. God's view on divorce. And really, Jesus says it all there in verses 9 through 12. I want to read these once again, just so we can get a handle on them before I try to unpack them for you. Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, there is a temptation here for all of us to immediately go and find exceptions. That's the temptation welling up inside of us right now, to immediately go find the exceptions, to, to soften Jesus' words here. Brothers and sisters, we must not do that. At least not yet. At least not immediately. We must not soften Jesus' words here. Some in this room right now have been divorced. All of us in this room have people that we know and love who have been divorced. But we need to let the force of Jesus' words here hit us, even as they make us uncomfortable. If we are open to the Lord's work on our hearts in whatever ways that he wants, we need to let Jesus' words hit us, even as they make us uncomfortable. None of us, brothers and sisters, none of us can come to God's word and remain completely comfortable. None of us can. There's not a one of us in here no matter what we have done or have not done, none of us can come to God's word and remain comfortable. God's word convicts every single one of us of sin. And so if this word convicts you this morning, I want you to know you are not alone. You are not alone in being convicted by the word of God. God's word shakes and unsettles and unnerves every single one of us. And we need to let it. We need to let it. Jesus says here, in verse 9 especially, divorce is separating what God has joined together. Divorce, divorce is separating what God has joined together. Just as abortion is undoing the work of God, knitting that baby together in its mother's womb, so divorce is undoing the work of God in uniting two people together as one. The reason divorce is so serious is it is an attack on the work of God. It separates the union that God has made. 
The union of marriage between a husband and a wife is something that God intends to be for life, for an entire lifetime. One man, one woman for one lifetime. And this union, in this union, two people become one. They become one flesh. You heard that phrase from Genesis 2. One flesh. And part of what that means is not all of what it means, but part of what it means is physical intimacy. Physical intimacy. Now, physical intimacy, brothers and sisters, is much deeper and much more spiritual than almost anyone in our culture today realizes. Hear me on this, and especially the young people who are with us today. Hear me on this. When you unite yourself physically to another person, you are engaging in a spiritual act, not just a physical one. Even if you don't think about it like that, you are engaging in a spiritual act, God tells us, not just a physical one. That act was created by God as a means of bonding two people together for a lifetime. That's a big part of what physical intimacy is. It is a means of bonding two people together for a lifetime. And so you see then why it is so destructive when two people who are not married engage in physical intimacy. They engage in the act meant to bond two people together for a lifetime and then they rip it apart. The best illustration I've ever seen on this was a youth minister who glued two pieces of different color construction paper together, let the glue set up, and then ripped it apart. He tried to take it apart from one another, and what happened? Some of, some of this color is stuck on that color, and some of this color is left stuck on that color. This act of physical in- intimacy was always intended by God to bond two people together for a lifetime. In Exodus 22, even, God says that if a single man is intimate with a single woman, not only has he sinned, but he must now make her her his wife because God created that act to be kept between married people only. And so I hope you, you see through all of this, one of the main reasons why divorce and remarriage was never a part of God's plan for us is because we were created in such a way that we were to only be with one person for one lifetime. Even in in situations where death removes one spouse and marriage is completely acceptable and permitted according to the, the Bible, it was not so from the beginning. It was not so from the beginning. Death did not come into existence until Genesis 3, until sin enters the picture. And so Jesus says divorce is separating what God has joined together. And then Jesus says remarriage after an invalid divorce is adultery. Verses 11 through 12 there. Remarriage after an invalid divorce is adultery. Now Jesus is warning us here. He's warning us. Do not think that you can treat marriage like so many Hollywood celebrities do. Do not think that you can just stay married for a while and then get divorced whenever you feel like it. Marry someone else, no big deal, and then do it all over again. No, Jesus is warning us here. We are committing a serious sin if we trade one marriage in for another as if marriage is no big deal. Marriage is to be for life. Now here, 
is where we need to include the exceptions. Here's where I'm going to include the exceptions. The Bible gives two exceptions to this law on divorce and remarriage. Matthew 19.9 gives us one of them. Matthew 19.9 says, this is the words of Jesus, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so we have an exception clause there, except for sexual immorality. And the only other place in scripture where we get that exception for a different reason would be 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. Listen to this one. This is one that a lot of people don't think about. In 1 Corinthians 7, 15, Paul is teaching on marriage and says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Here's what Paul means there. Picture a, a situation where two people were married and then one of them becomes a Christian. One of them becomes a Christian and is following Jesus. And the, the other spouse says, I don't want any part of that. It, 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 it offends me that you have given your life to Jesus and now you, you want to walk in that way and you want to change our lives in all these ways. So I'm done. I'm leaving. And Paul says in that situation, the believing spouse can let them go. They, they are permitted to do so, and that would be a biblically acceptable divorce if that unbelieving spouse insisted on getting out of the marriage because this other one became a Christian. Those are the only two cases that we have in the Bible where it permits divorce. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into all the other what-ifs or tough cases. We don't have time this morning to deal with all of those. But suffice it to say, at this point, with those two, many, many divorces, even among Christian couples, are unbiblical and sinful divorces in the eyes of God. Some of the most common reasons given for divorce, even among Christian couples, are invalid according to Scripture. For example, we're not in love anymore. We're not in love anymore. John Piper writes in his book, This Momentary Marriage, when he was a, a minister, when someone would come to him with this reason for their divorce, his response to them would be, so what? And that sounds insensitive initially, but his point is, you made a promise. And you do not stay married and faithful to your spouse because of your feelings of being in love. You stay married because of your faithfulness to the promise that you made. You made a promise, so keep your word. Keep your promises. Some will come and say, I owe it to myself to be happy. I owe it to myself to be happy. Now here, we have to examine this issue of happiness just for a bit. Because there are times where I have heard preachers, well-meaning preachers, say things like, God doesn't care about your happiness, he cares about your holiness. I get what they're trying to say, but that's not biblical. To say it like that is not biblical. God does care about your happiness. He cares intensely about your happiness. And one of the things that you will find in scripture over and over again is that true happiness does not exist outside of the will of God. You don't go outside of the will of God to find happiness. You don't break God's commandments to find happiness. Happiness, true happiness, is found in holiness. And so holiness and living for God is what makes us happy. And so it's not 
it's not exactly right to say God doesn't care about your happiness. He's, he's concerned with your holiness. He is concerned with your happiness. The Bible is full of commands to rejoice in the Lord. Jesus' beatitudes begin over and over again with this word that can very well be translated happy. Blessed is the one who this. Blessed are those who this. That word means happy. It means happy. God is concerned with your happiness. And he wants you to be eternally happy. But you can only find real and true and lasting happiness in the will of God. And then some will come and and say this. My spouse is not who I thought they were. They're no longer the same person. Brothers and sisters, no one is the same person years after they are married. None of us are the same. My wife and I were married at 22 We are not the same people that that we were now. We are not the same people at our age now that we were at 22. Suffice to say, if we were, you probably wouldn't keep me around for long as your minister. This is the beauty of our wedding vows. I promise to be with you for life. We promise to grow with one another and help one another and forgive one another through the changes of life. And so, if... We get divorced for one of those unbiblical reasons. The remarriage, Jesus says, the remarriage is sin on top of sin. That is what Jesus is saying to us. Now, that forces us, I think, many of us, to ask the question then, well, what if my divorce was unbiblical and I am currently remarried? What do I do now? What if, what if, I agree, my divorce was unbiblical, but I'm already remarried. What do we do? Well, it is not correct to say, as some do, that you are still married to your first spouse in the eyes of God. That is not correct. It's not biblical. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not what the rest of the Bible says. Notice in verse 11, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. He uses the word marry because that second marriage is a real marriage. It's an actual marriage. It's not a fake marriage. It's not a so-called marriage. It's an actual marriage. It's a real marriage, even though it was sinful. Jesus is not saying here what God has joined together, man cannot separate. Rather, he is saying what God has joined together, man should not separate. That is the thrust of his command here. In Deuteronomy 24, Moses says, if a man divorces his wife and she marries another, then she becomes the second man's wife. And if they then divorce, the original husband, it says, may not take her again to be his wife. In other words, that second marriage was a legitimate marriage. All this to say, What should you do if you were unbiblically divorced and you are now remarried? You should not do another divorce. That is not what Jesus is saying. What should you do? You should repent honestly before God and even to one another. Admit it should have never happened. Ask for forgiveness from God from each other, and perhaps even from former spouses. And then keep the promises that you have made to your current spouse. 
rather than breaking your word a second time. That's what you should do. Brothers and sisters, all of us have sinned in our past. Every single one of us have sinned in our past. Many of us have sinned in some very serious ways in our past. Many of us are still dealing with the consequences of our past sins. But all of us should acknowledge the sins of our past and confess them to the Lord. All of us should trust in the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we should move on and live in the will of God from this point forward. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. He is faithful and just. The gospel is that no matter who we have been, no matter what we have done, anyone can begin anew in Christ. Anyone can be born again. Anyone can be forgiven and walk in newness of life from this point forward. And so this is a chance for all of us to get real with the Lord, to confess our sins to him, to be open and honest to him about what we have done that we never should have done, and to go to him, throwing ourselves upon his breast, throwing ourselves upon the blood of Jesus Christ, because that is the only thing that can wash our sins away. And brothers and sisters, it is powerful enough to wash away all unrighteousness. And then we move on. And we seek as best we can to live in the will of God from this time forward. That's not only for those of you who have been divorced and remarried. That's a message for every single one of us today. And so at this point, I'd like us to do what we do each week. We're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. We offer this time every week for all of us after we've heard from God to speak back to him. He has spoken to us Now we, each one of us, every single one of us, need to speak to him. And so we're going to pray silently, individually, so that we can respond to what God has just laid on our hearts. After we each do that individually, we're going to come back together and we're going to have an invitation time where anyone who might need to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. Let's pray together.